Hey, church, good morning. Oh, let's start up. Pray with me. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we, uh, we're encouraged to know that every battle belongs to you. We're encouraged to know that you have made us complete victors in life, that uh, we share in your victory over death and over all the difficult and trying things that happen in this world. But God, we confess to you that sometimes we are fearful, and sometimes we are um, we're worried, and we uh, we get we get pressed so much so that we we feel like giving up, and sometimes we do for a while. But Lord, if we deny that, then we're going to become so arrogant that we don't understand that the battle belongs to you. And so, Father, as we move through this day and the days ahead, and as we continue to uh, strive to be just unworthy servants doing our duty, I pray that you will um, help us to remember that when you're for us, Nothing can be against us. And if anything is against us, it really doesn't matter. Father, we thank you for this moment. I pray that you would be with me in preaching this word, and I pray that you'll be with all of us as listeners of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are. This is the fourth of four, and... Paul has used that little word for as a signpost for us, taking us through this journey in Romans 8. He said that um, because we hope for our adoption as his children, then all the suffering that we go through is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. That even when we do not know what to pray for, his spirit within us, knows what to pray for. And he, the one who searches us, searches that mind of the Spirit that he put in us in the first place. And that in everything that happens, even in the difficult things that happen in this world, God works for good. It's what he always meant to do. It's what he intends to do because he loves us. And now we wrap it up with the, with the final four God is for us. He's for us. It's as simple as that. And, and here's the thing. This is, this is one of those ideas that, that we move through here and we move past this every Sunday and in our Bible studies. And do we ever stop to realize just how important and how heavy this is that God is for us? I want to read the scripture. It's in Romans 8. I'm reading from the NIV. I'm going to come back to this at the end of the sermon. But right now I want you to hear this in, a, in an English translation that's fairly close to the original. Pretty exacting. Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. How many times did you hear the words for us? And I'm going to tell you, and I hope to show you at the end of this, even all the ones that you heard, there's more of them there. They're just implied. God is really, really for us. God is for us. And, and two things, two phrases illustrate that very clearly. One, the statement is made that he did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us. Now, right now, you may be asking, wait a second, what is God thinking? Not sparing his son. And maybe you're not thinking this, and honestly, we probably should be. Because this does need to rattle our cage a little bit. What kind of heavenly father is giving up his son? What, what is that all about? In the next few weeks, I, I want to spend some time studying that. And, and let's, we'll spend some time talking about how God atones and how he saves. But right now, we'll accept the fact that God doesn't hold back. That he's willing to give up, to give over to hand over like a ransom his son, here's the part I want you to see, all for us, because of his love for us. And, and actually in his son, God is doing that himself. He's giving himself through his son for us. So if you ever wonder, you know, is God really for me? Is he, I mean, you know, you know things about you that I don't know. You know things that no one here knows. You might even think that on your best days you can hide it from God. And you might be thinking, you know, is, is, God, is God really for me? Is he really on my side? He didn't hold back his son, but he gave him up for us. Second thing that's said is this. Christ, who died and was raised and is at the right hand of God, now intercedes for us. We've already mentioned that in the, um, in the second sermon where uh, the Spirit within us prays for us, intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. Now here's the image of Christ exalted and in heaven. And by the way, Ted 
took us through the Lord's Supper to remind us that in Luke 24, you have the Christ who is crucified, but that's not the end of the story. The Christ who is risen, that finishes that part of the story, but that's not even the end of the story. Now you have the Christ who is ascended to heaven, and yet that doesn't even finish the story because you have Him in heaven now interceding for us with the Creator and the Father. And and then that's not even the end of the story. You have that same Christ who's going to return and bring all this together. The story is ongoing. In some of the earliest, um, and and, you know, we're doing a, a series on basic things that every Christian ought to know on Sunday nights. Uh, if you're listening to this in radio land, it'll be coming to a podcast near you very soon. The, um, the, the, the Apostles' Creed, some of the earliest statements of the faith, they, they clearly point out the fact that after Christ is risen, he is exalted to the right hand of God. He's given a place of authority. And it's in that position of authority and exaltation that he is interceding on our behalf for us. These, exactly, these two amazing realities are just written down by Paul to show how incredible it is that God is for us. So that when, you know, when we say that God is for us, he's really for us. Now, The flip side of that then is, so who dares? Who dares? When you are favored by God, when when God, who dares? Who would dare to say anything about about us? Um, Here, the two who dare statements are, number one, who would dare to accuse us? When it's God that justifies us. Now, you know, if you just do this by logic, just think about it by logic. So-and-so has accused me, they've accused me falsely, um, and it's really been bugging me, everything that they say about me, they keep saying all these things, that's not who I am, but they keep judging me, and it keeps ruining my day, and it keeps making me feel horrible, and it's the the worst thing, and they're slandering my reputation now, Uh uh-huh. What does God say about you? Well, God's for me. Then who cares what the other people say? Who cares and how dare they? God made you right. God justifies you. When we come into our Celebrate Recovery meetings, one of the ways that we, it's it's kind of a tradition to introduce yourself. You start out not by saying, uh, I'm struggling with resentment. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I have this addiction. I have that. You start out by saying, I am a grateful believer in Jesus, or I am a child of the king of the universe. Because when you identify that, then when the accusations come, and boy, when we start to struggle and own our sins, the the accusations are going to be there, and the accuser, that is Satan, is going to be all behind it. But you have to know who justifies you so that you can be prepared when that accusation comes at you full force. If God justifies you, then who would be silly enough to accuse us? Well, not only that, but who then would say, let's take it a step further. Who then would condemn us? 
Maybe they don't want to just accuse us. Maybe they want to uh, blacklist us. You know, it's, it's kind of a sad truth that in the history of uh, Christianity and even in the history of our tribe's tradition that one of the things we want to do is, is we want to write people up and talk about everything that's bad about them. You know, so that the more, and, and usually the more uh, good somebody's doing or the more that people are kind of against each other, they, they write up names and they, they publish it. And, 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 you know, and the weirdest thing is, is that uh, churches will take out full-page ads in newspapers. Newspapers were these things that we used to read back in the day that are the large pieces of paper with letters that don't scroll or click. And, uh, and so you would, you would write stuff up. And I remember um, this happening recently. And some friends of mine in another church, they brought me in. And they said, what is this all about? They've written these people up. What's going on? I said, you, you don't want to know. I don't. It, really, I didn't want to explain it to them. But again, the outsiders look in on that stuff and say, well, what's the deal here? Um, I'm sort of like my old teacher, Tony Ash. I'm wondering, well, when do I get written up? I mean, you know, I've been, I, I, surely I've done enough to get written up. I guess I haven't, but I, may, I, I should probably watch out. Uh, but if I ever do and I get condemned, then I know this. I want to please God. I want to please Christ. That's who I want to please because I know that God justifies me. He makes me right. I can't even make myself right. I cannot justify myself. And Christ intercedes for me. So I'm out of the condemnation business. But, you know, I figure that maybe I'm a lot like many of you, you know, that who dares to accuse me? Me. Who dares to condemn me? Me, or the voices of the past, my shame, my guilt, the things that I put into the minds of others thinking, I bet they're judging me, that sort of a process, which really God never gave me the gift of telepathy. Uh, I've never developed it. If he has given it to you, we'll go see a doctor. Because uh, <laughs> we don't have that ability. Um. And even when I condemn myself, when my own heart is condemning, the Apostle John writes that there is one who is greater than our hearts. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Your, your condemning heart, God is greater than that. And when you think that you have the right to condemn yourself, to accuse yourself, you need to understand that there is one with more authority than you who is interceding for you and justifying you, he's greater than your heart. So, God never abandons us because he's for us. And sometimes it feels like God abandons us. Sometimes when we struggle, I don't want to make light of our struggling, it feels as if God abandons us. But here Paul goes through this long list of situations that we might find ourselves in. Suffering, trouble, mistreatment or persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, violence. We might be physically attacked uh, for any number of reasons. We might find ourselves in danger. We might find ourselves threatened by ourselves. Does that mean that when those things happen, 
that God has given up on us? That he has given up on me or he's given up on you? No. In fact, Paul is so convinced, he says he's persuaded. I'm persuaded that these things do not mean that we are separated from God's love. He's persuaded that that doesn't happen. I, I got to work with this text. It was the text for this week. Because on Friday we celebrated the life of Bud Marchant. That's Kay's son. And this was the text. This was the right text. Because if you knew Bud at all, you knew that he struggled in life. He struggled with some things. And yet... Those struggles were not what defined him. And furthermore, I'm convinced, like Paul, after reading this, that those struggles do not mean that God was far away from him. Oh, that sounds like pretty stuff that a preacher's supposed to say to make everybody feel better. Oh, okay. Where am I getting that? What's that a picture of on the screen? The cross. Jesus Christ went through suffering. He went through trouble. He went through persecution. He was hungry. He was poor. He, experienced, he faced danger. He was threatened and he experienced violence. Cruel death. A beating. The shame of the cross. And I know he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about the atonement and what that means. But now, because God himself went through all of that, those of us who go through that, he's never far away. He's right there with us in it. Have you ever gone through a tough time and then you find someone else and you say, you know exactly what I've been through, yes. And then a relationship forms, a bond forms. I've told people who've come to church here over the last 15 years, They've said, well, but here's what I'm going through, and here's what our family's been through. And I've said, I have always found it to be true that whatever it is you're going through, someone here has gone through it as well. And we are all just getting through it with God's grace. And and thank you for those of you who put your story out there so that others might be comforted by that. But if you haven't found someone yet, if you still think that you're all alone, what I want you to know is... Jesus Christ has been where you've been. He's been through it. He is the pioneer of our faith. And so he doesn't abandon us. Well, now, before we get too worked up, though, I guess we ought to stop and think. Now, surely there's got to be some caveats, some asterisks, some things that we can put down. We need to make a list of things that, you know, this is all nice and and fancy that God doesn't abandon us. Nothing separates us from his love. But you know what? I mean, come on, we can really get it so wrong and goof it up that, yep, God's just had enough with us, right? So what is it that can separate us from God's love? The Scripture says nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing. I mean, there, there is an answer to that question right there in your text. Nothing separates us from God's love. We can do things where we don't feel God's love, where we don't accept God's love, but nothing separates us from that love. He, the way Paul puts it is there's nothing in all of creation that has the ability to separate us from the love of God. You cannot find some other force 
You cannot find some other, other power, some other substance that can keep us separated from God's love. Satan is not the enemy of God and his equal at every level. They are not arch enemies. God has Satan beat all over the place. Okay? Satan is the accuser that causes us to lie to ourselves and not believe statements like this that are so loud and strong that Paul says, I'm persuaded. Nothing in all creation, and he goes through the categories, has that power. And in fact, what we have is total victory through the one who loved us. Now, I think NIV said we're more than conquerors, which begs the question, what's more than a conqueror? I mean, how, a, a, a super conqueror, a, a plus conqueror, what is more than a conqueror? Well, the, the word that's being used there is the word victory, and actually, I love it. I, I want to translate it literally. I want to translate it as, he says, we have hyper-victory. And it sounds like an energy drink, doesn't it? Hyper-victory. Sounds like something that kids get diagnosed with now, and there's medication for it. Hyper-victory. But that's the kind of win that you want for your team. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes an ugly win is a win. Sometimes you'll take it, you know. Especially if you're a Razorback fan. This is, you learn to live with that. Hey, any victory's good. No, it stunk. But then we'll take it. You know, it's a W. All right. But if, say, for example, just to stir up problems here, OU is playing Texas, right, Brent? Then they want a hyper victory. They don't even want Texas to show up on the scoreboard. That's hyper victory. That's total victory. Likewise, Texas, when they play the Sooners, they want the same thing. And uh, I am unaffiliated. And so the, uh, but a, a total victory means that there is no, no, no loss, no harm, no injury. It is complete victory in every sense of the word. And he's saying we have that through the one who loved us. That total victory was one for us. Now I want to wrap this up by reading the passage again, but this time I want you to hear it in the words that Eugene Peterson used when he wrote his paraphrase, The Message. And uh, I guess you can find it on your devices if you want, but honestly, I'd rather you just listen to this as the close of the message and close of the series, because think about it, church, this is the Apostle Paul writing for us. We've said all this. We've said all this. So what do you think? So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how could we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son then is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle 
with God by messing with one of God's chosen. Who would dare even to point a finger? The one, the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is now in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. No. Not trouble. Not hard times. Not hatred. Not hunger. Not homelessness. Not bullying threats. Not backstabbing. Not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Like, they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of that phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Lord, has embraced us. Today, if you need some affirmation that God is for you, that he loves you, if in some way that his love for you means that, that, that you need to act in courage on something or, or you need to surrender yourself to him, And we're going to sing a song to encourage you to do that. Now, let me say this. First of all, let's all stand up then because that's that's the next move you're going to make. Everybody stand up and get ready. I don't know if your response needs to happen right here and now. Maybe it does. God is for you. We'll have shepherds down here to encourage you. There's people all around you that you can talk to today. The letter of James says that when we confess our sins to one another, we are healed. Um, it doesn't say you have to go through some special procedure. Just admit it to one another. You can go to room 100 there. There will be shepherds in there for you. Or maybe you need to be praying about this today and find out how God wants you to manage it. Just know this, that when you go to God, he's on your side. He's for you. What more can he do? to demonstrate that. Father, I pray that you would be with us now as we sing this song. Let it give courage to those who need it. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in such a way that we know that you are always for us and nothing in this creation can condemn us. And Father, that's not license to sin. That's permission to grow. That's permission to be holy. That's the calling to be your children. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.